yesterday afternoon I noticed a shift in me. I, I don't know how it was for you. Through you know, talking about trauma and karma, there started to be a heaviness and a tiredness. So that's a sign that you know, escape mechanisms kick in. The content becomes too much. And then suddenly something changed in the moment where Tara, her name is Tara, right, shared. Yeah? So that was just like uh, one voice, you know, bringing the invisible into the visible through sharing. And then a shift happened in, in the room. And kind of you woke up again yeah? from that kind of trance, numb. Uh, way of glazing eyes, almost falling asleep, there was suddenly uh, vitality again. So that's good to acknowledge. And then also the meditation uh, which we then did was very beautiful. There was really like a, a, a silence in the room. Yeah? So you know, pointing to that which is aware. And even if uh, we don't understand uh, what is being meant by uh, what is aware, because some of you have some familiarity or some experience of what this is pointing to. Uh, there was this uh, beautiful openness, which was not disconnected from how we felt at that moment or what was happening, but this was this shift into that which is bigger. And that shift into what that which is bigger doesn't exclude our human conditioning, so, so it's not like, it's not a transcendental state beyond, it is an openness and a freedom within your experience. I, I really was quite amazed and surprised how, how easy it is, how accessible it is, even in a room where we talked about Ukraine and child developmental trauma and, and that brought a lot of stuff. Uh, so by mentioning these things we made the invisible visible and then to experience, wow, yeah, as a group together we can hold this. You know, if we remember spirit, if we remember our inner beauty, uh, if we remember Rigpa. Yeah. And uh, from a Buddhist point of view, that is actually the ultimate medicine. That does not mean that there's many developmental progressive methods which we can use working with the content, but working like that with, in a progressive way, we do that because we want to make the ultimate medicine more accessible to us. And that's what I would like to start this morning in our first meditation, a reminder, an, an invitation to open to the sky-like, mirror-like nature of consciousness, of awareness, your inner beauty, Buddha nature, ultimate bodhicitta, so many different names. And when I use names like that, inner beauty, Buddha nature, maybe something resonates in you, but the danger with these words is it becomes some, something very big, you know, something special, something like Wow, it should be like American Awakening, kind of <laughs> uh, Hollywood Awakening. Yeah? So that's a, that, that's a bit of a problem with these words. You know, essence, Buddha nature, ultimate bodhicitta, Rigpa, 
the sky like nature, it's, it, it's a bit too dramatic. In the Dzogchen teachings, they say the problem is not that we are, we are pointing to something special, something difficult to reach. The problem is we're pointing to something which is too simple and too close. Now, one of the words His Holiness in his book around Dzogchen uses for Rigpa is, he calls it ordinary consciousness. That's why I, uh, I want to use another word in, in a meditation. I tell you the word. Uh, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you the word uh, next weekend. <laughs> so don't miss next weekend. So one of the methods, techniques to make contact and to have a glimpse of your inner beauty is a method called self-inquiry. Self-inquiry is a method where we use questions. And these questions, they are not meant to bring us into the head and to reflect upon them. We could do that. We could try to find an answer to this self-inquiry question by going into philosophy, by going into science of consciousness and stuff like that. Uh, but here in this context, the, these questions, they are not meant to be answered, but they might help us to direct the beam of attention. Do you know what I talk, uh, what I mean with the beam of attention? Like, I could say to you now, bring your attention to your right foot. So, see? And then something happens. You, you don't know exactly what, you don't know exactly how you do it, but something happens. So that's the beam of attention. In meditation, one of the skills we learn is that we can influence where this beam of attention goes. In daily life, it's just like, you know, there's no awareness often about what you pay attention to. And it just, you know, goes where it goes. And because of our negativity bias in our brain, our attention often goes to that which is difficult and our attention is often judgmental. The way we, the, the way where our attention goes shapes a lot how we feel in a certain moment. And if you don't bring awareness into that, out of trauma, out of karma, we pay attention to that which solidifies our perception, solidifies habits. For example, the negativity habit. And as practitioners, we, we learn, hey, I have a certain freedom, a certain degree of freedom here. I can influence what I want to pay attention to. I can become aware of what I pay attention to. And I can become aware of how I pay attention. And I can change that. Not overnight, like a, a lifetime and going back into our ancestors, our whole evolution was supporting the negativity bias. It was an evolutionary benefit in searching around where's the danger and what can be improved. Yeah, that made us who we are. That made, made us so successful as a, as a species. So it's not like overnight. Yeah? So, and that's where meditation, gom, the Tibetan word gom comes in. We familiarize ourselves with 
more wholesome ways to handle our attention. So with the self-inquiry question, they are meant to bring this beam of attention into something we naturally don't have any interest in because it's nothing. But what a nothing. Yeah? So remember when I say nothing in this context. The, so the self-inquiry question is supposed to bring our curiosity towards that which is aware, to itself, you could say, to its source. So this is also called awareness of awareness, becoming conscious that you are conscious. And that's not natural. We are not interested in that because it's so ordinary. It's so subtle. So this would be a little bit like one of the metaphors you could use is here. You have a, a blank piece of paper and you have a script on that paper. And what are we interested in? Of course, the script, the words, the content. So the script here, in our case, is karma and trauma. That's what we're interested in. We want to read the stories. That's where our beam of attention goes to. And we're not interested in the page, because there's nothing there. What's the benefit of looking at the page? As a spiritual practitioner, we start to see that actually what we are looking for is in the page, not in the script. Our home, the end of seeking, enlightenment, is in the page, not in the script. But how the heck do we make our brain, which is developed in the way it develops in order to survive, that's the only purpose of this mammal, to survive, to have sex, to find food. How do we convince that brain to be interested in the page? And, and one way to, for beginners to start with that is to use these amazing words. You know, we call the page God, and ultimate bodhicitta, and pure consciousness, non-dual awareness, the end of seeking. So that's just advertising, trying to make us interested. The enlightenment is not in the script. In a way you could say, which is a bit too much, but you could say, uh, kind of to balance out our identification with the script, you could say, and that's like a meditation instruction, you are not the script. You know, yesterday, we, we, all this talk about working with trauma and working with karma, it's, it's all talking about the script. And the Buddha says, you know, kind of original words of the Buddha, you are not what you are aware of. Which makes sense if you kind of start to contemplate it. You are aware of your feelings. The feelings come and go within you. If a feeling is finished, no? like the energy of the feeling dissolved, you are still there, yeah? like a mirror. No? That's like the mirror-like capacity of your presence is still there. If a certain karma is burned off or lived through, you are still there. You, you don't die. If thoughts, a thought dissolves, if you would stop thinking now, just stop thinking, you're still there. You don't disappear because then there's the next thought and there's something there receiving the next thought and that something which receives the next thought remains the same. And it's like the thoughts which have been received ten years ago 
they have been received by the same mind, by the same consciousness, by the same presence. And we don't know what you're going to receive tonight, what kind of feelings, what kind of situations you will find yourself. Of course, you have some ideas, but as you know, everything can happen at any time. Yeah? We don't know. Maybe your flat is gone when you come home. It's a possibility. Maybe your dog has died when you come home. You, you don't know. We have some ideas. But what we for sure know, that you will be there. You as the mirror. You as awareness. You as presence. And that's it. That's the Buddha nature. That's Rigpa. Rigpa is the only thing in the universe which has the capacity to be aware. So what is Rigpa? It is that which shines through your eyes, through your senses, right now. That's enlightenment. To make the shift of identity from the script into Rigpa. And we start with little glimpses. And then we stabilize these glimpses. And then slowly, these kind of glimpses where there's still a sense, oh, I have a glimpse, the eye disappears. There's a shift of identity. You really shift from the script into the paper. Shit, I'm the paper. Nothing can happen to me. There's nothing to protect. I mean, the paper can, can hold and give space to all kinds of scripts. You can have a war story on the paper. The paper is the paper. And it remains like a, like a mirror shows ugly faces and beautiful faces. The mirror is absolutely non-judgmental. And that's why Lama Yeshe can say in his book on Tantra that this presence is in the nature of love. That's actually unconditioned love. It doesn't distinguish. It doesn't say this is evil, this is good, this is bad. It's just present with a tenderness. There's also other capacities in, in the paper. So that's where the metaphor stops. When I talk about that, capacity to reflect, and I talk about one of the five wisdoms, yeah? the, the colors, the five wisdoms. That's called the mirror-like wisdom. But the paper we are talking about here has also the other wisdoms, and one of them is the all-accomplishing wisdom. The all-accomplishing wisdom is an intuition of responding to the situation you find yourself in the most beneficial way. It's called enlightened activity. And it's not coming from the script. It's not coming from the past. You know, we have been talking how trauma and karma shapes the actions in the present moment and how we perceive the present moment based on how we acted before. And uh, I quoted Miles Neal saying, that leads to, uh, uh, to activities which is not based on the present moment. It's not an appropriate response to the present moment. We're responding to the past as if we are still in the past. In the page, in, in what you are, there is that freedom. It has nothing to do with your skills or with thinking things through, making the right decision. It's a very different way to move through your life. It's an intuitive response to each situation and somehow... You do that and you say that which is the most beneficial in that situation, even if you don't understand why. Rationally, it doesn't make sense. And I guess we all can acknowledge that even now, in our really confused way of living, 
being identified with the script and trying to figure things out and you know, all this shit which is happening in, in our script, that there's these moments of clarity, these moments where you follow your heart, you would say, or you follow your guts. You, you, you surprise yourself by doing something or saying something and it really, you, you notice the difference. It comes from a different place. It do, doesn't come from the narrative self. It doesn't come from your anxiety. You just feel, oh, this is the right thing to do. And then when you say and do that, there is no karma created. And you feel that because you don't have any regrets. You don't want to go back and kind of, oh, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. There's no doubt. Isn't there a risk that also... So, or a question is maybe, so why it, does it have to be... Or why does it become love? Why, can it be also people or evil and just become numb and just be in this indifferent kind of... Can that happen as well? Though? Absolutely. Why ethical training is so crucial? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it can also be used in... The Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, and you are exactly right. Mm. The ethical guidelines, bodhisattva vows, five lay vows, they are for confused people to give them something to minimize harm. But actually, if you shift more into that heart intuition, at one point, you don't need the guidelines anymore. And you actually, in your own actions, might sometimes break the guidelines. That's actually one of the bodhisattva vows, is to, to break the five lie vows if it's for the benefit of others. And again, we feel the danger in it. Yeah? It's complex. So that's why in the Tibetan tradition they emphasize a balance between the progressive path and the direct path. I want to mention the three methods of Ken McCloyd dissolving, employing, and transforming. And then we can find different traditional practices like Tonglen, like feeding the demon, like uh, Vipassana meditation. Yeah, so all, all these are methods to work with the content, purification practices. So self-inquiry, turning the beam of attention into becoming curious to what itself, to, to, to its source, to that what is aware. And that's what I want to do in our first meditation. And again, as a reminder, if I ask a question in, in this meditation now, it's not a question to go into your head and reflect upon it. It is a question which you can't answer, actually. Whenever you find an answer to the self-inquiry question, you are on the wrong track. Because the self-inquiry question point to something which the rational mind can't grasp. It's like a koan. You know, in the Zen tradition, they work with koans. And they have the same purpose, koans. If you don't find anything after the question, that's much better than finding something. If that question confuses you, that's much better than having some sense of certainty. So now the word I want to use for this beautiful... No, the word I want to use is you. But because what we are pointing to here is you. 
You're not pointing to something special. It's just you. Remember the image of the script and the page. Yeah? When I say you, I'm not talking about the script you. I, I'm talking about the you. The you which remains. The, the you which now is receiving these words. So just you, the, the ordinary you. It's, it's nothing dramatic. We miss it because, as I said, it's too close, it's too simple. It can't be just me. No, me, I'm so screwed up. You know, I have not meditated enough. I, I don't have any understanding. I'm still depressed. I have anxiety attack. It can't be me. Yes, it is you. With that you, with that I am, we kind of start to sing through the, the, these layers of the Alaya Vijnaya, which were usually our sense of I am lands and gets stuck. The you I'm, I'm is pointed to, it's not completely different than that layer. It pervades it. It's more like ocean and waves. The you is not like in a different place. We're not talking about a transcendental place. We're not talking about something which is above or below or, or that we have to remove the script. The you, which we, we are invited into, is neither the same nor it's different than the content. We are not looking for the page by trying to remove the script. The script and the page, they happen in the same place. Awareness and the objects of awareness are in the same place. They are not separate from each other. Is it like you become aware of these glimpses of the shift you were talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, all the stories are here. At the same time something happened. It, uh, for me it was like, uh, aha, now he is talking about the, the state of harmony. You are in a relaxed Mm. good energy like like what mm. I told when I went outside and it was dripping from yeah. the roof and it was like uh, from shine it's a bit it's easy. a yeah it's a bit more profound than that because what you now describe mm. is experience it has some qualities and which is good from from the turbulence of the script we we move towards the most subtle level of mind but what this question is pointing to is that which is aware of that peace and of that relaxation. Okay, not only the state. Not only the... Oh, yeah, I, I because the, 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 what you described, that is still something which comes and goes. Yes, yes. Yeah. What you can describe is always a conditioned phenomena. Mm. It has causes and it comes and goes. The thing is... It's me observing this. It's yeah. you observe, observing it. The, the, the challenge here now is that, of course, we try now to get somewhere or try to understand it. Yeah, or like, ah, yeah, yeah. So we might even pretend right now, yeah, I, I have understood this now. Yeah, yeah, I have understood that we are not talking about that which comes and goes, be it difficult or good and peaceful. Yeah, I understand that. No, you can't understand it. You can't understand it with a rational mind. You can't describe it. 
it's a different kind of experience. It's so different that when I use the word experience, I feel like, oh, I mean, this is like trying to describe, so it feels inauthentic or... Yeah, it feels like I try to communicate something with words and you try to understand the words, but what I actually want to share is something else. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, that's how in the tradition, it's not only through words and scriptures, but also through touch and presence and stillness and gestures, singing, mantras, symbols, you know, many different ways to somehow transmit the undescribable and ungraspable. So in our meditation, which is a short meditation, this is also the thing with this self-inquiry practice. We are not looking for some deepening of the experience and holding on onto something. And, yeah? So what we're talking about is short glimpses. One of the reasons why it's difficult for us to deepen these short glimpses is an insufficient shamatha practice. That's why shamatha practice, also on the direct path, is so important. Because what happens, we have that, you know, the gap between thoughts, like the gap opens. You can notice when, when you familiarize yourself with this, you notice when it happens in other people. You can feel it. I don't know how. I don't know how it works. But I feel when someone just parrots something she read in a non-dual book, or if she uses words to describe that which is not des describable. I know it. I feel it. I don't know how that happens. That's why sometimes you need a teacher to be confirmed. Like to confirm together. It's not like that the teacher gives you something, but you have a conversation, this impossible conversation about this, and somehow you both know that you're talking about the same thing. Or so you know you're talking about something you can't talk about. It's very strange. Actually, both knowing that we can't know what we are talking about is the biggest sign that we are talking about the same. <laughs> So if you ask then someone, do you know what we're talking about? I have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that you don't know what we're talking about because also I don't know what we're talking about. But you are talking about the blank paper, empty paper. The white paper. White paper, mm. yeah. It's nothing written or, or scheduled. And if... If you look from that place, then it doesn't matter what is written. You are in a way, yes. In a way, yes. But... It's I mean, you don't judge it. Yeah, you don't yeah. judge it. No, but, it, but of course it matters. It matters, yeah. This is a very important point. It could be point. war and it could yes. be peace. Yes, this is yeah. a very important point. Because this can be sometimes understood as a kind of nihilistic. Oh, yeah, it's all the script, it doesn't matter. But it matters. And it's difficult to express it. One of my teachers said, it matters, but not really. It matters, but not really. Of course it matters that there is a war in the Ukraine, but it does not really matter. Not in, in the ultimate sense. 
looking at that script from that openness, that looking is pure love together with wisdom, but there's a third wisdom in these five wisdom. It's called discriminative wisdom. So actually, your capacity to discriminate increases, is enhanced. So it's not like, yeah, it's all empty and there's no judgment, so that's, I don't care. It, it's not like that. Actually, you're more fine-tuned because your capacity to, to notice the details, your capacity to be in tune with what is happening in the script grows. So your creativity increases and your capacity to be helpful increases because you're more in tune, you're more aware. What do people need in this situation? You notice it. Now, if you live in the, behind the perceptual filters of your karma and trauma, you are disconnected. With being the paper and looking from the paper, you are connected with everything because you are not there anymore. And because you are not there, that place is replaced with everything. You are gone, and that space is filled with everything. So your discrimination of what is happening in every situation is not redu reduced, it is enhanced. Like, you look at the war at the Ukraine, and you see how it is embedded in, into everything. And you see the karmic picture, you see the trauma picture of it, you see that you are connected with it, that it's about also about your own violence. You see like with Buddha's eyes, and a spontaneous and natural response to that is a compassion which never gives up. But a compassion not as an emotional experience. question comes about, okay, so why is the natural part to be in that state to be uh, compassionate and not indifferent? So why why not just, yeah. things are happening, I feel connected to everything, yeah. the war, and I'm indifferent, I just let things yeah. be as they are. And yes. So why, why, why? why yeah. yeah, why does it... Uh, I can just tell you it is like that. <laughs> I just can tell you it is like no. that. It's a bit of a leap of faith initially. And that is one of the fearful projections people have in terms of the direct path that it will make them indifferent or... Actually, if indifference is experienced, that would be a sign for you that, that there is some confusion, that there is a misunderstanding, mm. that what you're actually doing is spiritual bypassing. Mm. You're using... You're using no, no. Kind of, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a traumatic response mm. which then is interpreted as a non-dual experience. Mm. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. It, it gets more profound than even what we're talking about now. But so the question, I, the self-inquiry question, I want to use in the meditation after the break is, how does it feel to be you? The feel is very important. It's a whole being experience. You know, we talked about characteristics of trauma and karma as embodiment. Because one of the self-inquiry questions is, who are you? No? Who are you really? What is that which is aware? So I, I like that feel. Yeah? How does it feel to be you? 
remember, we are pointing here to a you which is always there, the you which remains. And this is something which I also kind of try to point out when we were communicating with our future self. See, I talk about you. I'm not talking about the Dalai Lama, the Buddha. I am talking about you and you know yourself already. Rigpa already is aware of itself. You know yourself already. You just miss it. You're looking in the script for you and you miss yourself. Maybe you can notice how the complex of the narrative self is really struggling with this. Yeah, but it can't be me. It's like, I'm just me. Yeah, and you are it. <laughs> it's really weird. When we talk about Buddha nature, when we talk about awakening, when we talk about all Dhammakaya and things, we are talking about you. We are not even talking about Kundalini awakening, one with everything, ecstasy. <laughs> we are not talking about that. That is an experience which comes and goes. And sometimes this kind of self-inquiry question can, can trigger an experience like that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about something really boring. That's why, you do, that's why we don't look. We're not interested in it. There's nothing there. It's, it's a white paper. And you are gone. So that's the, uh, the other challenge uh, in this. is There's nothing here for you. For you as the narrative self. There is not even feeling better for the narrative self. As Trungpa Rinpoche says, awakening is the biggest disappointment for the eye. <laughs> yeah, it is. Of course we can acknowledge that a, a lot of why we practice is about feeling better. For me. But that's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. But that level of me will be completely disappointed. And of course it will try, the narrative self will try to claim spiritual experiences for itself and wear it like as ornaments and as memories we can share and be special. And yeah, So the narrative self is, will do that. There's no, no way around it. But now we are talking about you. So the self-inquiry questions, who is experiencing this, who, are, who am I, what is experiencing this, what is aware, yeah? these kind of questions, you need to really get into it. If this is something for you, yeah? so of course there's, there's many doors, uh, so self-inquiry is just one. But what you start to notice, once something happens, and I'm really not talking about something dramatic, maybe even you don't really notice that something happens, because it's so subtle. But what happens is that slowly, slowly, that question, that self-inquiry question, starts to occur in daily life. And it has to be like that. Maybe in the beginning only once. Like you sit in the office and you get a nasty email and somehow, suddenly, in your, question, in your mind occurs this question, but how does it feel to be me? Who am I? Or what is aware of this nasty email? 
And because even if in that moment the shift is very light, you wouldn't even call it a glimpse, but you know, something, something opens up, you could say. Something opens up. And from 100% resistance and judgment, and you have 95%. But your, your nervous system, your being, starts to see, oh, that there is something, there is an opening. It's better to be just 95% stressed than 100% stressed. And still, you don't talk it, you don't label it as an insight into the nature of mind or something like that, because it's, it's too subtle and, and you might even miss it. But your nervous system is not missing it, because it, it wants to go towards more peace. So what happens then? This direction, maybe triggered to that question, maybe not, occurs more and more. Occurs more and more and deepens. And even if I would ask you and you would say, I never had a glimpse, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know the always present silence, I have no idea what, when you talk about natural peace, I don't know it. So even if you would say that, if then I talk about you know, how did your life go in the next, next 10 years? And you say, yeah, I notice I'm a little less triggered. I'm, I feel more grounded, more stable. Yeah? And I can see that in everyone who, who co- keeps on coming. You know, some people, they, I meet them like since a period of 15 years. And I can see that in everyone. They travel lighter. And they might not even notice it, but I can see it in their faces, in the way they walk. Mm. There's nobody I know who keeps on coming back and doing retreats and doing some practices where you don't see that. Mm. You see it. And if you would ask that person, they would say, no, I have no... I'm, the, I'm, I'm like completely... I'm the, there's no improvement. Yeah? Because it's so subtle, and you don't notice it yourself. Friends might notice, your partner, your children might notice it. Oh, mother, please go to this summer retreat again. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we made a little collection yeah, so, so that you can go, yeah, because they notice. So Peter, Peter Fenner, he's like my non-dual guru. Yeah? So he gave me that, this transmission. He's, he calls it the homing instinct. The, the homing instinct. This is what this instinct birds have to go home. It's, it's non-conceptual. They don't have a, a plan in, the, in their little brain. They actually, we don't have any idea how they do it. Yeah? But they do it. So that, that's like this homing instinct. So, with a self-inquiry question, what is aware and how does it feel to be you? Or when you, say, when you talk to yourself, you, of course you say, how does it feel to be me? So I would encourage you to stick with a question like that, at least for a while, even if you don't have like an immediate result, you know, something, oh, now I get it, or something like that, or something... There is really like something, a shift or an openness. Just continue and allow the question to occur during daily life. 
and then notice, is there something happening over a period of months? So what happens with your nervous system when you make this little shift? So, so you mentioned before this shift was coming into a... Yeah. So what happens in your nervous system that your vagal tone increases. The what? The vagal tone. It's the vagus, uh, the vagus, which uh, is a part of your nervous system which triggers a sense of safety, a sense of relaxation. And it is the part of the nervous system which is responsible for deregulating the fight-flight response. And it is the part of the nervous system which makes the access to the frontal cortex more available. So it is responsible for this shift from the reptilian brain into the frontal cortex. And it's interesting to look at some of the traditional practices like the creating a safe place, taking refuge, and so on and so on. It's really interesting to look at that from a neuropsychological point of view. This is, this is kind of a new thing, you know, the vagal theory, uh, something like that. I, I don't know exactly what the name is. Polyvagal theory, yeah, polyvagal theory. So that's one, one thing to, to, uh, to look at, because for us, we belong to the religion, the cult of science, yeah, <laughs> no, not even knowing it. it. It's helpful to look also into the research and to see, wow, what uh, our ancestors, uh, the shamanistic cultures and the Tibetans and so discovered in their rituals, can now we can actually describe and prove and research from a materialistic point of view. And that can enhance our willingness to, to do these practices. Because we understand, hey, when I take refuge, boom, 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 this happens uh, in, in my nervous system. It's not su superstitious, it's not like voodoo, yeah? it's measurable. Polyvagal theory, that's right. It's complex. This was a really like a very uh, superficial, just mentioning the name. Yeah. When you start to read something like the polyvagal theory, you start to look at practices like using a mala in a different way. Mm -hmm. yeah? So what happens actually just through the touch? Mm -hmm. yeah? so, so through the touch, what happens... It's a mindfulness practice also. Like you, you, you work with the beam of attention. And with the mala, you connect also with the lineage. Like particularly then if you have, if you have the mala blessed. So you go from this feeling disconnected into connection. Yeah? You start with touch. The mala is a symbol for the vagal tone. <laughs> and... and, and uh, and then suddenly, which uh, for some uh, more scientific-minded people is a kind of superstitious thing, you start to understand what they actually did. I've done some of your uh, meditations. So there are questions. I don't know if these are the questions like Pema Shan, who is looking, yeah. um, who is hearing now, um, what is here if you're not trying to solve a problem. Why? <laughs> That's a so good question. Of these ones, once when I do them, um, it makes I get in a strange state. I'm mm. 
but I also get a bit afraid because, uh, mm. uh, yeah, who is looking at you now? Yeah. <laughs> and my question before on the nervous system is sometimes, as you say, uh, in situations, not now because I haven't meditated for long, but it can come up. And then uh, rather than defending me or, you know, like this fight and flight, it kind of just pass at me. And I'm mm. wondering, yeah, it just, someone says something, it doesn't really affect me like it does. <laughs> um, it's this shift, when you mentioned that the small shift. Mm -hmm. uh, it bothers you less. Yeah. 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 And then uh, I, I can't recall those situations if my nervous system was reduced, but kind of, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it bothered me less. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just, um, mm. It hurts you more, but it bothers you less. It hurts you more in the sense that you can afford to feel your feelings deeper, but it bothers you less. About that fear, that's, that's a very common question, which always can, comes up when, when we talk about self-inquiry. That kind of fear is a good sign. The art here is to continue to swim in that threshold, uh, the threshold from the dualistic split into the experience of non-duality. you get accustomed to it over You time get or? accustomed to it, you employ it, in the sense of how we, I talk with Tara about, that it becomes a way to connect with others, to share, to develop compassion. Yeah. The most important thing there is to, not to take that anxiety as a sign to retrieve, yeah. Yeah, but to move towards. Yeah. Yeah, to continue to move, not too much, because maybe it's actually kind of more healthy for you right now to stay a bit in the threshold rather than to drop into an experience of non-duality and yes. explode, yeah, yeah uh, and have a period of complete destabilization in your in your life. You know, you have a family, you have work to do, so that kind of fear is maybe a bit of a wisdom also, yeah? kind of keeping you in the confused state, but it makes you going, keep, uh, uh, I mean, Slowly, yes, so it's gradually um, uh, moving uh, towards it. Yeah? Unless you are in retreat with a qualified teacher, or you are in a, in, a, in a community, in a spiritual community, which if destabilization happens, there's people who take care of you. Yeah. But most of us, we need to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. So, sorry, enlightenment. <laughs> you have to... <laughs> I, 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 I postpone you a little because I have to no, go to work like tomorrow. You say a glimpse and then you get into this regular life, but I think it comes back sometimes in situations, this feeling. As I mentioned, you know, someone says something bad to me, then maybe sometimes I just let it pass, who, you know, who, I don't know who's, who, yeah, what you mentioned before, uh, uh, who is receiving this, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just am, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, this familiarity with who you are, at one point, doesn't need any no. inquiry anymore, it's just, yeah, you, you are who you are, you are already that, it's already the case. And why would you use anything to point to it, what you already are? I mean, it's done. Yes? Could you manage uh, an ordinary work if you were enlightened? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Your wood be much more beautiful. It's the best makeup. Your body gets really sexy and and <laughs> <laughs> you you grow more muscles, you know, because uh, you know your body becomes alive, vital, and your memory enhances. Whatever skills you have learned in your life, they become more easily available. I mean, you don't care about more money, but you actually will earn much more, yeah. And I mean, networking is like a piece of cake for you. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah, no, you're 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 networking all the time. You make connections. You you become attractive for people. Yeah, your business grows. And and what you're doing right now, that's purification. That's healing, because because you're. You're doing exactly that which brings you out of that isolation, of that yeah. disconnection. By sharing that you that you feel disconnected and isolated, you break the cycle. It doesn't need to be more than that. Not only that, it affects. Yes, sure. Yes, you're here. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.